Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Why are you raising your hand in here like you're some kind of Olympian? <laughs> Maybe I am. And I was going to come up with something derogatory, but then I decided I best not. It's probably good. Exactly. Thanks for joining us for minute 36 of Dead Man's Chest. You can't trick me this time, actually, because I put notes all over the place to not forget Pirate Word of the Week, especially (laughs) after the last few times that I've forgotten things. So the joke is on you this time. I'm actually impressed that you're the one who's remembering this stuff and it's not me. So I guess what's the Pirate Word of the Week? Tumble up. Tumble up? Tumble. Tumble up. Tumble up. What is that? Get up and get moving. Tumble up. Yep. I like that. I'm going to start using that every morning. You should. 5.30 in the morning. Tumble up. Oh, yeah. And I'll say, shut the hell up. (laughs) How dare you? Arr! Heather goes, it's time to tumble up. Grog. (laughs) Reaches over to her nightstand, takes a nice swig of grog. (laughs) First thing in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! It's how you brush your teeth, isn't it? You just wash out your mouth with some grog. Yep. Disinfect and everything. It does. Uh There you go. Yeah. Tumble up. Okay. I like it. It's not bloody hell, but it is a nice one that people can use all over the place. You got that right. It's a daily use thing here. Exactly. Well, (laughs) grog is a daily use for you too, but this one is for everybody out there. In the previous minute, it's the buildup to the very first Burning Man. And our guest of honor is none other than Captain Jack Sparrow. Realizing that you can't partake in fine dining without some blue willow china, cannibal tea served in the finest silver serving set on the island of Pelagosto. And of course, a coil of rope to round out the dinner ensemble. Jack makes his way to the hut of horrors. Minute 36 continues with Jack stopping in his tracks as he's about to leave the cannibal hut with the rope he found. He grabs a can of paprika and turns it over to find the embossed logo of the East India Company. When he leaves the hut, he is confronted by the Pelagostos, staring at him in silence. Jack says, oh, bugger. The minute ends with the captured Motley crew swinging the bone cages in an effort to reach and grab hold of the side of the ravine. Captured Motley crew and Will, by the way. That's true. He's not part of them. That's true, I guess. He's not really part of them. He is, but he isn't. Right. He wasn't on the ship when they got captured. That's true. Why are you making faces? I'm about to sneeze. How dare you bring that up in here? (laughs) Nothing says fine radio like sneezing. People just love it. You blow out their eardrums and you sneeze right into the microphone. Like, holy Jesus, what was that? So thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. The exciting behind the scenes look at the making of 
the Black Pearl show. But I held it in. My head didn't explode either. Till the 20 come out a second from late. Yeah, I do have a history of double digit sneezes. And not just low double digits, but high double digits. What's the record? 22. 21. 22. 21 or 22. Sneezes in a row, if you can believe that. That's insanity. It's almost like I got to take time out in the day when I start sneezing. But we're talking not sneezes. Disney related. Sneezy, I guess. But we're talking Pirates of the Caribbean. There's a heavy world domination and world is shrinking theme in this minute. That's what I saw. With Jack being puzzled about the EITC logo. Exactly. The fact that East India Company goods, I mean, presumably they've traded goods that they themselves, well, maybe they got help with it or, you know, spread some of the trading down the channels. It's not like, I mean, maybe they've captured some of these middlemen. Maybe they like the long pork. Well, that's true. Such as shrimper. I mean, trading spices for long pork, like you said. So it's possible that either East India Company is directly trading with them or they're trading with middlemen like shrimper or they're capturing and eating some of these guys and just taking some of the goods. I mean, either way, East India Company is here. Well, with the wig, I would go with the capture and eating. I think it's a little bit of everything. Okay. I'll give it to you. Because shrimper clearly said he trades... Oh, yeah. Spices. Yeah. And Jack found some spices. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of everything. He didn't say he was using paprika from the East India Trading Company. Who didn't say this? The shrimper. Really? So you're going to go so technical when he says trading spices. Well, technically, he didn't say paprika. So we can't really make that assumption. Really? That's your response? Yeah. Man, the technical world in your mind, it's like a swirling haze. Of craziness. That's the only thing I can say about that. Wow. The fact that trading spices is not enough for you. The tea shrimper is who I'm talking about. Now we have to ask Terry and Ted to go back and do a rewrite so they can actually talk about some of the specific spices. You're having speaking problems today. How dare you? I send you to the deep. (laughs) This is like, that's not me. That's That's, Banjo in the studio. That's your tummy. (laughs) No. If it wasn't for this show, I'd be done talking with you for the day. (laughs) You know your tummy makes those noises. No. Firstly, because I'm getting back on track here, the idea that there's no place the East India Company doesn't have a reach, that's really kind of the idea here. They're everywhere. Even in the most remote, cannibal-ridden places, the company is on a path to dominating and controlling the world. The trade world. That is. Currency is the new form of currency of the realm. Isn't that what Beckett said? Yes. And what are you talking about? The trade world? What are you talking about? I don't know if I like what you're doing over there. (laughs) How many helpings of grog have you had so far today? A little too much. Yeah, exactly. Secondly, it also shows that the world is shrinking. There's no place you can hide from the East India Company. Has its finger in everything and in every culture. Kind of how I took things. Even the... The cannibal culture? Cannibal culture. Yeah, well, come on. Nobody just wants to eat... Long pork without a little spice action for that. So the East India Company is actually flavoring the long pork. Yeah, that's actually what became Spam. Spam was originally long pork. They go, we got to come up with a new name. Everybody knows the code word long pork now. And they're like, Spam? I don't think the creators of Spam are going to like you spreading these rumors. This Episode is it brought to you by Spam. It... Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think they'll delicious like Delicious Spam. Traded <laughs> for some spices. 
There you go. Rumor spreading spam eating. Yeah. People like spam. It's a code word now. This backs up Beckett's grand plan. Not the spam, but a manifestation of the map being painted on his wall. The fact that the East India Company has a bunch of products here on this cannibal island. Pelagostos. Pelagosto, actually. Pelagostos is the people. Cannibal Island. Cannibal Island is nice. Yeah. Just rolls off the tongue easier. Plus, it's spooky. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. This may also be our first Sparrow Beckett link. Or, well, maybe an indirect link, but something that catches his eye. Because specifically, we know Jack had a run-in with Beckett before. Probably knows his goals and sees the East India Company goods as a sign that Beckett is getting close. Beckett is in Jack's future. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say he's his arch nemesis. Arch nemesis? He is a nemesis. If anybody is a nemesis, it's Beckett. He is a nemesis. Yes. I mean, sure, it could be anyone or just a company, but I imagine Jack sees the company as Beckett, a personification of the company in Beckett, right? Yeah. That's why he does the double take and gets this concerned look when he's leaving the hut of horrors. Yeah, he looks a little puzzled as to why the spices came from there. Because he's leaving and he's like are you kidding the east india company is here i thought i ditched these guys i thought i ditched that stodgy stodgy little man somewhere (laughs) and now i'm running into the spices from the east india company and the chest of stuff in here it's like my god can't i go even to a cannibal island and not run into east india company not these days there mr jack exactly that's what i'm saying world domination the world is shrinking this all gets back to what beckett was saying to will in the beginning and then also elizabeth it's a completely new future everything's changed and beckett's of the mind if you're not with us you're against us and i think that's how he sees things yeah and that's what he presents to jack too or wants to present to jack is this letters a mark that basically like you're with us sure you'll have a little bit of your freedom but not much not like you do now right But it's a with us or against us attitude. And who doesn't want to align themselves with cannibals? That's the moral path that he has taken, I guess. Well, you know you can trust somebody if they're aligned with cannibals. That just goes to show you you what kind of person they are. (laughs) And also, keep an eye out on people buying spam at the supermarket. You see somebody buying spam, you know, hey, that's probably a moral person. (laughs) A cannibal moral person. There's a whole different set of morals there, but they're Spam morals. Spam is not long <clears throat> pork. Oh, this episode brought to you by Spam. Thanks for bringing that up. We got to plug them. <laughs> it's not long pork. Now, I'm going to tread lightly and cleanly with the following. Trust me, it went south pretty quickly on the research for this phrase. So I'm going to try and change things up a bit here. It's oh bugger when Jack says that when he comes out of the hut. Okay. The hut of horrors. And I'm sure you all have an idea of what this means. Like, oh no. Kind of, yeah, okay. Oh man, There oh you no. go. Thanks for the G-rated version there. Sure. I can always count oh, on you oh, for oh, yeah. your, the mind that has not been tainted by real life out there. You've got a Disney mind that always looks at the good in things. I like to keep it clean. You're the kind that goes, oh, cannibals are good people too. So the G-rated version. In the United Kingdom, the term is a general purpose expletive. Used to imply dissatisfaction or to refer to someone or something whose behavior is in some way displeasing or perhaps surprising. In the U.S., particularly in the Midwest and South, it is slang but not offensive, meaning a small critter. Bugger. Look at that bugger. You little bugger. You and the bibbit. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Nobody's ever heard of this before. It's something you and your family made up while enjoying probably some spam on paper plates that you called China. 
Now, I mean, nothing against spam. I've never actually had spam well, that's my just entire life. Heresy right there. <laughs> Blasphemy. The PG version of O Bugger? It is derived from Anglo Norman Boger, which is, I guess, you know, I'm not a real big Middle English kind of I can pronounce the words. Let's just say it right here. And we all know with idioms and phrases lately and me messing up last names and names, it's always not good when I tread in this kind of situation. So yeah, I'm going to go with a uh, Boger. Not Bogert. Isn't that a Harry Potter thing? Bogert? Bogert. Bogert. Which has also given the term buggery. From Latin, Bulgarus, a name given to a sect of heretics who were thought to have come from Bulgaria in the 11th century. And thanks to those Bulgarian heretics, a great name for a band, actually, if you're starting one, Bulgarian heretics. Come on. That's the best band name you got right there. You got that right. Afterwards, to other heretics who, to whom abominable practices were imputed in an abusive, disparaging manner, thanks to those Bulgarian heretics. And now the PG-13 version. The term is thought to have started around the early 13th century after Pope Innocent III. Let's be honest Pope here. Pope Innocent? Pope Innocent III. Okay. But maybe not so innocent after you hear this. Surprising. Anyways, Pope Innocent III and the Northern French Kingdom went on the Albigensian Crusade in southern France, which led to the slaughter of about 20,000 men, women, children, and Catholic alike, and brought the region firmly under the control of the King of France. Pope Innocent is not so innocent Pope anymore. Innocent linked to 20,000 deaths of women and children? How dare you, Pope Innocent? He needs to rename himself, doesn't he? You got that right. The brutal crusade Pope was... Murderous. Pope Murderous? Pope Murderous? Pope Murderous the first. I hope we're not offending a bunch of Catholics out there now that I think about it. But come on. This is way in the back there. Nobody can endorse 20,000 deaths like that, right? No. Okay, I think we're safe. We're treading on safe ground here. Kind of. Pirate safe ground? Well, you know what? You shouldn't be going around killing that many people. (laughs) You keep the number under 10,000. Under 10,000, it's okay. Mass genocide is just not good. Yeah, thank you. You're we welcome. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute in the Black Pearl Show stand against genocide. Yes. We do not endorse genocide. Anyways, the Brutal Crusade was directed not only against heretics and Christians or heretical Christians, but also against the nobility and vassals of the crown of Aragon. The populace and province in northern Italy sympathized with the victims of the crusade because of their moral purity. It was then that the Catholic clergy launched a vilifying campaign against them, associating them with the unorthodox sexual practices in sodomy. That's where we end up with the term bugger. Pope Innocent. I think not. How dare you, sir? Exactly. So to bugger someone, to put it mildly or not mildly, the PG-13 version, is linked to Pope Innocent. It's really interesting there. And 20,000 deaths. So Jack saying, oh, bugger, has a lot of connotation associated with that when you start diving into it yes yeah that's all i have to say about bugger and buggering because <laughs> i don't think we want to get into a lot of buggering here right no Do we? okay then that's what i thought how did jack not hear everyone approaching this hut they're quiet that quiet though i mean come on hey there's an old saying that you can't sneak up on a native american there is are you kidding me yeah All the facts are in the movies. All you have to do is watch them. They say that. You can't sneak up on a Native American, but it doesn't mean a Native American can't sneak up on you. I think it goes both ways. Are you sure? Yeah. From the movies I've seen, they're pretty stealthy. But these aren't Native Americans. Not that I want to be peddling in stereotypes here, but I think they're pretty quiet. These are Pelagostos, not Native Americans. Pelagostos. Native peoples of anywhere that live outdoors and rely on that, 
hunting and that kind of stuff, they're quiet by nature. They just know how to traverse the landscape. Come on. We settlers and people who just come in, we're clomping around and stomping around. It's these people. Look at, okay, look at the like revolutionary war and things like that. We're out there. We're prancing around. We're lining up. With our drums and Then horns. you have a lot of the Native Americans who are doing some of the stealth attacks and kind of sniper attacks, if you want to call it that. We just weren't used to that. It wasn't kind of formal military stuff. Okay. That's how it is. It makes sense, though. They're out there surviving in the wild, having to sneak up on animals and each other. Can't go clod hopping around. Imagine if they all sounded like a giant marching band showing up. Jack would be wondering what was going on. They're just quiet people. Come on, they're cannibals. They know how to sneak up on people. That's what they do. They don't want to scare the animal away. This case happens to be a person. Don't want to scare the people away before they can club them and then, you know, cook them up. Put them in a bone cage. Speaking of... Spicing up your spam. I mean, long pork. Paprika is a ground spice made from the dried red fruits of the larger and sweeter varieties of the plant Capsicum anum, called the bell pepper or sweet pepper. Oh, really? That it is. The most common variety used for making paprika is tomato pepper, in case you were wondering. So everybody, when they're out, going to spice up their spam, make it delicious like shrimper would do, get some paprika. Although paprika is often associated with Hungarian cuisine, the peppers from which it is made are native to the New World and were later introduced to the Old World. Originating in central Mexico, paprika was brought to Spain in the 16th century. The first recorded use of the word paprika, though, haha, I think we've stumbled upon something here. Really? East India Trading Company, how dare you? Is from 1896. <gasps> Uh-oh. Although an earlier reference to Turkish paprika was published in 1831. Still not quite where we are in this time period. No. So it appears East India Company has... Coined a phrase. Okay, upended common history on the origin of paprika. Yeah, coined a new term for... A a spice. spice. I think it's almost like Eureka. Gold at last! Well, yeah, Shrimper gets there and he's like, oh, paprika! And he's like, oh, no, I misspoke. It's Eureka. And that's how it became (laughs) associated. Long pork at last? Yeah, that's how it became associated with that. I see. Color Beckett is making waves in history and spices, and that's all we need to know. And that's good for him. I mean, I do have to give Jack props, though, for the quick thinking. And preparing himself for the rotisserie he's going to be on? See, I'm just seasoning up a bit for you guys. (laughs) It was pretty cool that he had that quick, quick wit. Yes. To be able to do that. I think that was good. I think that was in his character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not something that's not in his character. I loosely mentioned how the piece of music in the previous minute, because I don't really... How did we transition from spam, long pork, paprika into music? Music of what? Just music in general. Just in general. How do we transition to that? I don't know. It's like the swinging, dangling bone balls. How do we transition from paprika spicing up Jack to... Bone cages swinging. Well, we can go to the clothing on Jack that they're going to cook him in. Do you have some of that? I'm just asking why they're going to cook him. Would they actually cook him fully clothed? Oh, that's a good question. Right? Or would they strip him down and then cook him? Come on, I think you got to strip him down because you don't want a bunch of You got to put the butter on him to make him all brown. (laughs) Now they're buttering him up. A little oil here to make him all nice and brown and... His outside shell a little crunchy. It reminds me of when you said, you said butter. It reminded me of that Seinfeld episode when Kramer is now <laughs> basting and bathing in like a butter because it helps. And uh, then 
Newman starts getting hungry because he's actually like a, see him yeah. as a turkey. <laughs> exactly. I see Jack as that way. Yeah. But I don't think you would actually roast somebody with the clothes on. No. But what is Jack going to do if he says he's preparing himself there? What's he going to do? He's gonna. He's not going to strip off and start putting paprika no, on him. But wouldn't they strip him down to put paprika on him? I would think so if they're going to do that. That's just a good... I mean, this is really a topic for at the table with the Donner Party, our right. cooking show. Very true. But yeah. I would think that they would typically strip have to him strip down. him down and then cook him up. Because you just don't want a bunch of cotton and linens stuck into the meat there. Right, exactly. You want to be able Nobody to, wants to eat that. Well, you need to be able to taste it right off the spit when it's cooking. Right. To make sure. You don't want a bunch of like linen and stuff in your mouth because that just ruins, A, the texture of it. You don't know, is this chewy? Is it chewy because it's not done? Or is it chewy because I got some clothes in my mouth? Yeah. And you notice they used the rope he was holding. What minute are you on? Are you jumping ahead? Isn't it? No, it's not this head. Oh, I must be jumping ahead. I was wondering why we're talking about this. I mean, are you trying to make a giant episode here? Perhaps you don't understand the concept. It's one minute at a time. One blimey minute at a time. Swinging bone balls. Are you sure this is not this minute? No. Because I also have... So like usual, you're now trying to to wreck the format of the show by bringing in other minutes. And all that to say is how dare you. But it is a good topic. And now we don't have to cover it when we actually get to future minutes of how to cook up Jack properly. Maybe we do. No, we don't. Because I was really... This was all me trying to come up with a transition to talk about the music. And you completely just sign-lined everything. So I loosely mentioned, because I'm going to forget transitions, how the piece of music in the previous minute called Jack's First Escape was reminiscent of this kind of sprightly upbeat. And I kind of loosely called it a waltz. It's not really a waltz. But that has nothing on what we actually get in this minute. Because this is an actual waltz. Well, I mean, music for a waltz anyways. In fact, this music is 45 seconds in length and entitled The Waltz. And this is the music that plays when the Motley crew and Will Technical are swinging trying to grab the ravine of the cliff. The trapeze music, like I called it. Okay, trapeze music. They're not really trapeze music doing... That's what it reminded me of. Okay, there we go. A waltz that's accompanied by the yells of the Motley crew, too. So they accentuate that, that music with some Motley crew yells and... You know, Black Pearl crew yells, let's just say that. As they try to grab hold of anything anchored to the edge of the ravine. Music fitting for a waltz for sure. That's all I have to say about that. Just kidding. Because I do have more on the music. And I think it works for this scenario. The back and forth of the bone ball? Damn it. Okay, so we are talking about the thing. Okay, let me just step back. Yes, this isn't quite what we were talking about. I thought we were doing more information on Jack on the spit when the torch guy comes up. But yeah, there is a brief moment in this minute where jack is carried onto or back to the camp and starting to be placed over the fire not the fire but the wood pile yes there you go okay and he commends them for their pile of wood yes okay so yes i thank you very much how dare you okay so you're right we did see a little bit of that man i'm never gonna live this down am i no damn it because i was right and you were wrong can i get back to the music though i mean you've really hijacked this now because now i'm I have to blame it on you. <laughs> but as I was saying before, I had to step back to say Heather was correct. Dang it, I can't believe I actually have to say that. That's so horrible. It really leaves a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest with you. Nobody can see it, but I'm sitting here grinning from ear to ear. That is true. Man, it 
I think that's it. This is the last episode ever. <laughs> okay, back to the music. I really do think it works for this scenario. I mean, the back and forth of the bone ball, the comedic element of the crew trying to reach the salvation, if we want to call it that, it seems like something I've seen before in a movie or a cartoon cliche, but I really can't put my finger on it at the moment. It just seems familiar. Yeah. I don't know what it is, though. And the, mu- the music does work with it, like, perfectly. Yeah, because the waltz itself... Oh, wait. Is what? this a moment for history? Yeah, it is. Because the waltz itself is a ballroom and folk dance. Normally in triple time, performed primarily in closed position. The peasants of Bavaria, Tyrol, and Styria began dancing a dance called Waltzer, a dance for couples around 1750. Kids these days. I mean, what the hell are they doing dancing all close together? How dare they do the waltz? What is this world coming to? It's like the beginning of the rock era. Elvis gyrating, the oldsters getting uneasy with the newfangled dance moves of the younger generation. I'm serious. This really is a cliche. That is not a cliche. It's reality. Every subsequent generation seems to complain about the evolution of cultural norms. And this holds true for the 18th century. I'm not talking that it's not true. This is yes. Not Elvis or the Beatles. People are upset over. I mean, I hate to say it. It's the waltz. These people would perform the cliche or cliches turn over in their graves if you want to say that. If they saw the dance moves of today. If they saw some twerking, they may legalize genocide or generation aside. (laughs) Case in point, this is where I'm going with all this because of the waltz and how it links to generations just don't understand the kids of today and the dancing. Remember, we're talking about the 18th century and the waltz here. The waltz. Do I need to explain this? Any- There's no comparison of the waltz versus twerking. It ain't going to happen. But in a 1771 German novel, a high-minded character complains about the newly introduced waltz among aristocrats, saying, but when he put his arm around her, pressed her to his breast, convorted with her in this shameless, indecent, whirling dance of the Germans and engaged in a familiarity that broke all the bounds of good breeding. Oh my gosh. Then my silent misery turned into burning rage how dare they blasphemy (laughs) the waltz i mean that is some shocking dance stuff right there shocking many when it was first introduced dancers held each other so closely that their faces touched oh the humanity (laughs) the waltz became fashionable in vienna around the 1780s spreading to many other countries in the years to follow hmm he saw her ankles and her wrist oh my god that ain't nothing what you see today see just about everything exactly Let's pause while we all go take a look on the internet real quick. Now, when parents or grandparents tell you about their hatred for the latest music and dancing, just tell them, how dare they do the waltz? And what the hell is a rumble seat for? That's all you got to do. Bring up that stuff. Just ask them and let's see if their criticism turns to silence. What is that rumble seat for? (laughs) That's my question. Oh, you dirty, dirty grandparents. How dare you? Now that I've poisoned everybody's minds from saying that about their grandparents. They're like, oh, my God. (laughs) Give us some grog. So that's all I have today. Yeah, a rare occasion that I actually messed up and forgot something in the minute. So I had to apologize for Heather. Not apologize for Heather, to Heather. Yeah. For saying that I messed something. So I don't have anything else, but do you have something else? Since you're waving your hands over there, you can't let me talk. It's like you think I'm going to end this show without asking, do you have anything else? Yes. I always ask this. So why? Why must you wave your hands like some kind of crazy woman over there? Because you'll just stop. Does this have to do with that 
really risque dance, that naughty dance that I can't believe people are holding hands while twirling in these big jumbo dresses, the waltz. Or is this something completely different? Completely different. Oh, success in a transition. Okay, what do you got for us? Cotton. The very end of this minute, you see a picture of Cotton. Cotton. <laughs> Whoa. What are you saying there? I didn't see anything dangling there. No, 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 no. But he's like totally halfway out of this bone cage, like stretching as far as he can. And it's just like the last second of this minute. It's just like stretching with his one eye closed and his mouth all crooked. You can't tell me that you wouldn't be stretching for your life if you were in that thing, knowing that oh, your you only would. faith is you would. to get I out just, of there. Otherwise, you're going to be eaten. He's just kind of off to the side. and That's all. I just wanted to mention Cotton. And his parrot comes down to meet him. No and parrots. He oh. can't talk, remember? But this gets back to why they were dangling on a crane and off the ground, as you were talking about behind the scenes stuff, and they couldn't use Gibbs' stunt double. Because if you see the swaying motion of the bone cage, there are certain elements. If he doesn't look exactly like Gibbs' his stunt double, then it's not going to go over real well. Right. So why Gibbs had to do that. Right. There you go. Full circle. Full circle. So once again... Scott has to step in to finish Heather's behind the scenes stuff and make it and we'll explain it to the audience because I needed something to go out on just because I had to apologize to Heather. Dang it, I'm still I'm gonna be upset with that for days. Well, you shouldn't deny I guess I should have analyzed and scrutinized a minute more. You got that right, buddy. Can't believe I forgot that. I was so focused looking, on the waltz. Yeah, focused on the waltz because it's a dirty dance. It harmed my eyes. <laughs> and the fact that there's more Jack on the spit coming up, and that's where I was really focused on. Oh, okay. So that's all I got. Do you have anything else? That's it for me. We'll be back on Wednesday with Minute 37 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling and the apologies to Heather coming. You got that right. Okay, no, let's keep the horns swoggling and the apologies to Heather to a minimum. Gotta keep the apologies to you to a minimum. I have a daily quota of apologies, and I don't want to exceed that to you. Yeah, there you go. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. Yo ho ho and a bottle of a rum. Yo! This is a Shout Reach Media Production. 
Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.